going to be looking at Hosea tonight, the book of Hosea. I'm going to read from Hosea 11. Hosea 11. Looking at the whole book, of course, but we'll read from Hosea 11, a chapter that really encapsulates, I think, the wonder of Hosea and the gospel as it's found in Hosea. It's really a remarkable chapter. We'll actually read, not quite to the end, but we'll, we'll stop at verse 11. So Hosea 11, verses 1 through 11, hear the word of the Lord. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. But the more I called Israel, the further they went from me. They sacrificed to the Baals, and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. I lifted the yoke from their neck and bent down to feed them. Will they not return to Egypt? And will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent? Swords will flash in their cities, will destroy the bars of their gates, and put an end to their plans. My people are determined to turn from me. Even if they call to the Most High, he will by no means exalt them. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboim? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I turn and devastate Ephraim. For I am God and not a man, the Holy One among you. I will not come in wrath. They will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They will come trembling like birds from Egypt, like doves from Assyria. I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. One thing that is common in the prophets, we've seen this in our study of Jeremiah, we saw this in our study of Ezekiel. Maybe it could be argued that we saw this in our study of Daniel as well, but it's that God turns their lives into living parables. For instance, you might remember that God told Jeremiah to buy a field in Israel as a sort of down payment and guarantee that Israel would return to the promised land after she was exiled into Babylon. Basically, God had said, you know, because of your sin, you're going to be sent off into captivity. You're going to be sent off into Babylon. But just so you know that I'm going to bring you back, I'm going to have Jeremiah buy a field. Right? This field is proof positive, down payment on my word and on my promise that you're going to come back here. You might remember that Ezekiel, <laughs> Ezekiel's wife died. And the message there was that just as God had taken away from Ezekiel the delight of his eyes, so would he take away from the Israelites the delight of their eyes, that being the city 
of Jerusalem. We see this, this same sort of thing going on in the book of Hosea. Hosea was the last prophet to prophesy in the northern kingdom of Israel before it fell to the Assyrians in 722 B.C. Now, during these last years in the northern kingdom, things were, as you can imagine, bad. There were six different kings in Israel over the span of the final 25 years, and four of these six kings came into power through assassination. Along with this, and certainly the two realities weren't mutually exclusive, it was also a time of intense spiritual decline. Baal worship crept in. We see that in a number of places, Hosea 2.13, for instance. Ritual prostitution and drunken orgies became part of the people's religious practice. This, this crept in as well from, from Canaanite, uh, Canaanite religious practice. We read about that in, in Hosea 4, 10 through 13. And throughout the book, you'll, you'll, you'll hear mention of, of the religious leaders of the day being corrupt and abusing their power. For instance, Hosea 6, 9 says, As marauders lie in ambush for a man... So do bands of priests. They murder on the road to Shechem, committing shameful crimes. So these last years of the northern kingdom in which Hosea prophesied, it was a time of political decline, political turmoil. It was also a time of moral and spiritual decline and turmoil. And through Hosea, God is simply calling out the Israelites for breaking covenant with himself. We see this, Hosea 11, verses 1 and 2. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. But the more I called Israel, the further they went away from me. That's pretty much a synopsis of the last 300 years. 400, 500, I guess, if we go back to the Exodus The last 500 years of Israel's relationship with God, God called them out of Egypt. The more He called them, the farther they went from Him. Israel has broke covenant with the Lord, and there will be consequences. That's Hosea's message. Now, to help Israel understand the seriousness of her sin, God asks Hosea to do something very interesting. He tells him to marry an adulterous woman. He tells him to take an unfaithful wife. Hosea 1, verse 2, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go, take to yourself an adulterous wife. Did I hear you correctly? (laughs) Some crazy things, but that's really crazy. Take to yourself an adulterous wife. And children of unfaithfulness, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. God tells Hosea to marry an adulterous woman, and this is meant to be a picture of Israel themselves. When they looked at Hosea's wife, they were to see themselves, and they were to see their own unfaithfulness. And when they they looked at, at, at the suffering of Hosea that was caused him by his wife. They were meant to see a picture and a type of the anguish that their own unfaithfulness was causing the Lord. 
Essentially, essentially, the Lord was saying, Hey, Israel, you want to know what you look like in all this? You want to know what your unfaithfulness looks like to me? Look at Hosea's wife. That is you. They were married. They entered into covenant. She was unfaithful. That is you. That is you in relationship with me. We came together. We entered into covenant. I promised to be your God and you to be my people. I asked you to walk in my ways. You've been unfaithful. You've been a spiritual harlot. Now, God isn't done with this, with this living parable. Hosea's wife, by the way, her name is Gomer. Wonderful, wonderful name. They have three children. And if you've ever thought that you had an unfortunate name, these kids have unfortunate names. The first son's name is Jezreel, which doesn't sound so bad on the surface, but literally in the Hebrew it means God scatters. God scatters. The second kid is a daughter. Her name is Lo-Ruhama. It means not loved. The third, another boy, his name is Lo-Ami. means not my people. So three kids. The first one's God scatters. The second one is not loved. The third one is not my people. And of course, just as, just as Gomer was meant to represent unfaithful Israel. These children are meant to represent the judgment that God is handing down on unfaithful Israel. Essentially, through these, through these children, God is saying to Israel, this is what's going to happen to you because of your unfaithfulness. This is, this is what you're going to become. You'll be scattered. You'll be stripped of my protective love. You'll no longer be my people. Everything that made you distinct, everything that set you apart, everything that I gushed about at Sinai, no more. It's done because you've been unfaithful. But even that's not the end of the living parable. You'll notice as you you read this book that amidst the devastating words of judgment that are spoken against Israel time and time again, there are also words of hope. For instance, at the very end of chapter 1, after the children are given their names, this is what we read, starting at verse 10. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. So already there, God, God hands down a curse, a sentence, but, but He sort of shows us that that, that that curse, that sentence, it's not final. No, it, it will be reversed. And then in chapter 2, we read uh, in the first half of that passage, chapter 2, it's not broke up here like it was in my other Bible, 1 through 13, chapter 2, 1 through 13. We read about how Israel's punished for her sin. And then in the second half, we read read about how they're restored to God. Very last words of chapter 2. I will say to those called not my people, you are my people. Again, there's hope 
amidst these prophecies of, of judgment. God is going to hand down this sentence, but it's not, it's not final. The curse will be reversed. Those called not my people will again be called you are my people. And then in chapter 3, the living parable continues. We, we read about Hosea showing love to his unfaithful wife. Again, by redeeming her from this mess that she had apparently gotten herself into. And through this, the Lord says, this is how I love the Israelites. Isn't that, isn't that remarkable? <clears throat> um, Hosea 3 verse 1, the Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by an another, by another and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. That is a remarkable Remarkable passage. I want you to go. Your wife, she's cheating on you. She's living with another man. She's unfaithful. Go love her again. Go, go take her back again. Because that's how I love the Israelites. That's, that's absolutely remarkable. <coughs> and then we see in verse 2, Hosea says, So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethek of barley. And of course, as we, as we see that, we can't help but, but, but see a picture what God will do for His unfaithful people through the blood of Jesus, right? He will be a ransom for many. Through Jesus, we will be purchased for God. And these themes, they, they continue throughout the book. The living parable kind of ends here after chapter 3, but the themes continue. In chapters 4 through 10, the prophet speaks devastating words of judgment against Israel because of her sin and because of her unfaithfulness. Then we come to chapter 11, which we read together, and we see remarkably that despite Israel's unfaithfulness to God, despite what she deserves from God, God will not abandon her. God remains faithful to His covenant promises. <coughs> I love it when the Lord says, the Lord says about... Um, in verse 8, how can I give you up, Ephraim? It's like the Lord is having this dialogue with himself. And he's like, he's like swords are going to flash your city, and, and you're going to try to turn, turn to me. And even if you call on me, I'm not going to answer. But how can I give you up? I can't give you up. I can't let you go. I can't treat you like the other name. I just, I just can't do it. It's remarkable. God determines to remain faithful to Israel. He'll, he'll chasten her for her sin, yes, but He will not forsake her. He will not abandon her. He will not give her up. Despite all of her unfaithfulness, God remains faithful to the covenant. What are some major themes in Hosea? Well, there are really two. On the one hand, the book of Hosea emphasizes Israel's unfaithfulness. God has entered into covenant with her. She has not kept up her end of the bargain. She has not remained faithful to her side of the agreement. And no doubt as we, as we see this and we, as we read this, we, we need to see ourselves as Gomer, really, and as the unfaithful wife. We, we are the ones, ultimately, who've, who've been unfaithful to God. We are the ones who've worshipped the bales of this world. We, we need to see ourselves in unfaithful Israel. We need to see ourselves in, in Gomer. Right? We need to see ourselves as spiritual harlots because that's what we are apart from the grace of God. On the other hand, 
the book of Hosea emphasizes God's faithfulness. Israel's unfaithfulness, God's faithfulness. He said to these people long ago in the days of Abraham, I will be your God and you will be my people. (coughs) The Lord said this and he's not going back on his word. He's not going back on his promise. Despite Israel's unfaithfulness, Despite the fact that he has every reason to, to render this contract null and void, God is not going back on his word. No, he's, he remains faithful to his covenant promises. He can't give them up. I know we've, we've talked here at Prosper at least, and probably at Vogel Center as well. A lot of churches I've heard this come up, but we've talked about the, the Hebrew word hesed. Hesed, it's a word that's used... Over 200 times in the Old Testament, it's one of the most important words in the Bible. And uh, it's a word that is so rich in meaning that it's hard to translate into English. Sometimes it's translated as loving kindness. Other times it's translated as unfailing love. Other times it's translated as tender mercy. And honestly, none of those definitions are wrong. Each of them gets at an aspect of it, but, but the word is really all of those things and more. It's a a loaded word. And ultimately, what this word describes is God's love for His people. God's love for His people. His eternal love. His electing love, we might say. That love that never lets go. Someone has said that that the word hesed refers to love with stickum on it. That is nothing, nothing can separate you from it. God's love for His own is like that, the Bible says. Those whom God has set His electing love on in eternity past, they just they can't get God's love off of them. That's hesed. The book of Hosea helps us understand this hesed. God's people can't stop playing the spiritual harlot, yet He refuses to give them up. He refuses to let them go. How do we see Christ in Hosea? Well, I already mentioned one way. As Hosea purchased his wife back, we see something of our own being purchased back by Christ through his blood. Another way, though, is that, that, it, that it's in Jesus, isn't it? Where, where God's faithfulness and our unfaithfulness is seen most clearly. I mean, that's exactly what we see when we look at the cross, right? We see God's faithfulness. We see our unfaithfulness. It was my sin that held him there, the song says. We see our unfaithfulness. Our unfaithfulness is is right there. It's because of our unfaithfulness that this is necessary. But at the same time, it's because of God's faithfulness that this is necessary. They all come together at the cross. Another way we see Christ in Hosea is that Jesus really just undoes the judgment that's represented by Hosea's children. Remember, God indicates that that, that, that judgment will be reversed. Those called not my people will again be called my people. That, that judgment will be reversed. We don't find out how it's going to be reversed in Hosea. We do find out in the New Testament. <coughs> For instance, Jezreel means God scatters. What does God do in Christ? In Christ, God gathers. He gathers people from every nation, every tribe, every language. 
He reverses the curse. Lo ruhamah means not loved. But in Jesus, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Loami means not my people, but in Jesus, the apostle calls us now the people of God. Okay, Jesus undoes the judgment for unfaithfulness, represented by Hosea's children. We can go even farther. The New Testament tells us that Jesus' own faithfulness to God, it's credited to our account when we believe in Him. That means that in Christ, we're not, we're not unfaithful anymore. Or to say it in a better way, we're not gomers anymore. No, His, his perfect righteousness, it's, it's credited to us so that it's as if we've never sinned or been a sinner, the catechism says, so that it's as if as if we've been as perfectly righteous as Christ himself. His blood has washed us clean. It's cleansed us of our unfaithfulness. God looks at us, he sees, he sees not a gomer, but he sees a, a saint. He sees one who is lovely, one who is appealing, one who is holy. What's a contemporary application from the book of Hosea? The book of Hosea helps us understand the love of God for His own. Charles Spurgeon once said, Nothing binds me to my Lord like a strong belief in His changeless love. We see that changeless love in Hosea. The same changeless love He's made known to you and I in Christ, that love with stickum on it, that love that will not let us go, that love that will not give us up or hand us over, that love that is more powerful than our own unfaithfulness. Donald Gray Barnhouse told the story about a night that he and his wife left their children at home with a babysitter. He said they got home and the babysitter was concerned about their oldest child. She had not stopped crying for several hours. Barnhouse went to his daughter's room, found her flushed, sobbing. He walked in and she asked, Daddy, do you love me? He said, of course I love you. Why would you say that? The daughter said, well, the babysitter told me that if I was bad, you wouldn't love me anymore. And since I was bad, I thought she was telling the truth. Barnhouse hugged his daughter and said, my daughter, I will always love you. When you are good, I love you with a love that makes me glad. When you're bad, I love you with a love that makes me sad. But I love you, good or bad. I'm always your daddy. The child was already more calm. Smile came over her face. Then he began to cover his daughter with kisses and told her that a good daddy had to be with her as the Lord was with him and with all of us who have become his children through Christ. How often don't we think like that little girl? I find myself thinking like that little girl sometimes. You know, I feel if I'm, if I'm doing good spiritually, if I haven't committed any major uh-ohs in a while, then certainly God loves me. The gospel's very easy to believe under those circumstances. But what about when our sins are very real? What about when we don't feel all that spiritually lovely? Then what? 
We often question God's love, don't we? The book of Hosea corrects us. It reminds us that God's love springs from His character, not ours. He loves us, loves us not because of who we are, but, but in spite of who we are. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? I can't. That is our God. And that is the truth He's made known to us in Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, Your love is amazing. Just as we think too little often of You, we think too little often of Your love. We make it about us and not about You. We look in at our souls and the mess that's within it and and not at Your Son, Jesus, through whom Your love has been made known. Forgive us. Help us to know Your love. Help us to be overwhelmed by Your love. Help us to live out of Your love. For Jesus' sake, amen. We are going to sing. The love of God, that's in the blue book, number 67. Blue book, 67. And uh, we'll sing, we're going to do verses 1 and 3, okay, Carlene? 1 and 3, why don't we stand and sing that together?
blessing, and then we'll close the doxology. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face toward you and grant you his peace. Amen.